Get 12 issues of The Spectator for just £12 when you subscribe this Christmas. And you can get a free bottle of Tattinger champagne. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash celebrate. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots and Spectators Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Fraser Nelson. Christmas is getting closer, but yet we are not seeing any new restrictions. On Monday, the Cabinet met to discuss new restrictions and there was an expectation that the Prime Minister wanted to press ahead. However, it didn't quite turn out like that. Fraser, can you update us on what went on? Well, if this was a cabinet Zoom meeting for a start, and it was a normal choreography. When we hear these meetings called at short notice, we think they're going through the motions of announcing new crackdowns. So the cabinet meeting started with Chris Whitty saying how terrible the data looked and how he, d- he didn't explicitly argue for more restrictions, but that was obviously the line of his argument. But then something rather unusual happens. There was lots of pushback from other members of the cabinet. And the Prime Minister himself was actively encouraging voices of dissent. One of the people who was at the meeting told me that he was going out of his way saying, look, Jacob, what do you think? Rishi, what do you think? Rishi Sunak, we all know that Rishi Sunak is no fan of lockdown. He was trying not to say very much because obviously these guys knew that history was going to record what each and every one of them said. And Rishi doesn't want to be seen right now as too much of a kind of a Boris destabiliser. But after that long discussion, they found a lot of the questions were unanswered. They weren't able to be told what these stage meeting, what these stage figures went. And there were two camps. One camp was, I guess, the pro-lockdown camp. Michael Gove, for quite a while now in these meetings, has been usually making the case for more restrictions, as if throwing it to challenge and waiting for other cabinet members to argue with him. And they haven't been doing so. But this time, Michael Gove, Chris Whitty were outmaneuvered and outargued by those who were saying that the case for lockdown has, to use a Scots law term, been not proven. Not that it's definitely not going to happen, but we want to wait for more data. So you've got the sage lockdown guys dealing in hypotheticals on one hand, and then you've got those arguing for more real-world data on the other hand, because they think that every day this week we're going to get more and more data, which is hopefully going to show that Omicron is nowhere near as severe as the sage modellers think, and we might be able to get through this without any more restrictions. Yes, Kate, when it comes to those ministers who are sceptical about bringing restrictions in the immediate, it's easier to count those in favour of it than not. So people like Nadine Doris, Michael Gove in that meeting, once again, making the case for it. But in terms of opposition, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, Grant Shapps has been very vocal, Kwasi Kwarteng, Jacob Rees-Mogg. There is a lot of um, scepticism, particularly over SAGE, it seems, and the idea that they are being bounced into horror scenarios. What are you picking up there? It's quite clear that when the Prime Minister called this meeting, there was an intent to find some agreement about more restrictions that might come in, even if after Christmas, in order to curb the spread of Omicron. But what I do think is interesting on the part of the Prime Minister, whilst you don't call a meeting like that to come out with no decision, it is quite telling that he was so encouraging of those dissenters that you just listed, Katie, to speak up. Uh, there are a lot of reports are, are saying that, you know, cabinet ministers feel as if this is the first time that they have actually been asked to weigh in on questions about COVID policy in a very, very long time. And I think that speaks to a a personal dilemma that the Prime Minister is having, which is that he has been inclined throughout almost this entire pandemic to listen to the scientific advisors
advisors and to act more cautiously than those who would want to hold out and wait to see more data. But now that this nation is double jabbed, triple jabbed, 50% of us have had our boosters, over 90% of over 12s are are, are jabbed, 95% of adults have antibodies. I think he knows that the idea of bringing in more restrictions is far more controversial now. And so it's, I think it's clear that he, he did want to, um, to stir up some conversation, although perhaps he wasn't expecting just how punchy and, and testy it would get. There is a, a missing piece to the story, which I'll share because our editor is going to be too, too humble to say it. Fraser Nelson is trending on Twitter as we record this podcast because of a Twitter conversation that he had with Professor Graham Medley, who's the chair of SAGE's modeling committee over the weekend. And in quite a short and punchy blog, Fraser does seem to have caught at least some of the cabinet's attention as is being reported today with the issue around data and modeling, as you point out, Katie. It appears, uh, at least what Medley was suggesting, is that SAGE is more inclined to model data that would lead to more restrictions and lead to lockdown. It is less inclined to model data that would have us do nothing, have us continue on as normal. And Fraser had this interaction and and he blogged it. And this has deeply frustrated many members of the cabinet because the consensus has been for a long time, well, you know, SAGE is the science and if they're putting something out there, it's been extremely well thought through. You know, they've they've done the scenarios, they're making the predictions. And now people are saying, well, where are those scenarios that show a milder version of COVID-19? Omicron, from data from South Africa, data from Denmark, is proving to be less severe. Now, we still don't have all the answers, but that is what the initial information is telling us. And they were wondering why they didn't have that information at their hands. Now, it's interesting that uh, Sir Patrick Valance apparently is, is reported to have jumped in and said, oh, no, we, we did model that. But those models weren't included in the SAGE document released over the weekend. Those models haven't been presented to the public. Maybe they're behind closed doors, but we certainly haven't had the opportunity to see them. And Medley suggested that they weren't the focus. I do think that's made quite an important impact, at least on the way that this conversation is being carried out. I think broad consensus is that we may still well see restrictions uh, at the end of December or in the new year. But ministers are now asking some proper questions about the data that they're being presented with, that they're being asked to use to potentially, once again, restrict or lock down millions of lives. I think it's also interesting if you look at the way the cabinet split on this, that one of the figures actually arguing for for restrictions or taking action now is Sajid Javid, who made the point that, you know, not doing anything is still a decision. You're deciding not to do something. You're deciding not to make a decision on restrictions. And I think that is quite striking. I mean, in a way, you would expect the health secretary to be the one talking about caution, making those arguments. We saw it from Matt Hancock, because that is what they're thinking about first and foremost. But I think it's surprising a lot of Tory MPs, because if you think about Sajid Javid and what he said when he was a backbencher, it was very much, you know, run the economy hot to move through restrictions as quickly as you could. And even when he was appointed to health secretary, he was the one talking about irreversible, the fact that you have to learn to live with COVID. And there, there, there are some, I mean, I have one figure say to me that Sajid Javid was wetter than the Titanic after this meeting. So there are some who've been quite scathing about it, suggesting that only group thinking the Department of Health has got him. But there's obviously another way of looking at it, which is the risk of not doing something if Omicron is actually as bad as figures like Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance think, which 
doesn't get much of a hearing if you think about um the the mood music from the Tory parliamentary party is such that the NHS could find itself in a very difficult position in a few weeks time so okay I wonder what you thought in terms of NHS capacity and where we're actually at at the moment because there was interesting comments from a statistician this morning saying that Although we're hearing that hospitalizations are rising in London, not all those individuals being admitted with COVID, some have COVID once they're already there. So I've never really envied any health secretary because they're in a very difficult position of of having to protect a, a health system that is quite frequently on the brink. You know, I think the past few years have shown it doesn't really matter how many resources you throw at it, it continues to operate that way. So um, if we're being generous to Sajid Javid, he is looking at the fact that the NHS would be operating around 95, 97% capacity right now anyway, and it just won't take all that much to tip it into overflowing. And it's an important point, one that uh, is relevant in COVID and outside of COVID too. I think the the difficulty here is that, as the ministers have pointed out in this cabinet meeting, is that if the cabinet, even those who are skeptical of restrictions, were able to see the data that really made them think that the hospitals were about to be overwhelmed or in the near future going to be overwhelmed, even the most skeptical of restrictions would probably say, okay, this is extremely frustrating, but we're probably going to have to take action, not even necessarily because of COVID, but because of the state of the NHS. The issue is that they still don't feel like they've been presented with that data. And I think that goes back to issues with SAGE and the conversations happening between officials and SAGE as to what is landing in front of the ministers. Because it's not that they're saying under no circumstances would they ever bring back restrictions. It seems like what they're saying is, can you please just show us the proper data that models this in a way that has a central scenario, so we're not talking about extremes, and that takes into account real world data. That is not an outrageous ask. That's exactly what the cabinet should be asking. And if they're not being provided with that, something's gone very, very badly wrong. I think the big difference is right now, for the first time, the Prime Minister is having to persuade people rather than instruct people. So previously, they would say, look, here's this great big scary sage data. Uh, the experts have decided the science is clear. I want you to rubber stamp it. And by the way, they would have rubber stamped that and a lot of other things. But there's been a massive shift in power recently in the cabinet. You had David Frost resigning a few days ago because he didn't like the nature of the COVID restrictions. So the Prime Minister needed to bring people with him. Now, then he found out during that meeting they didn't have the information that they needed to make that decision. When Sage produces a figure, is this a, a most likely scenario? What are the basis of that decision? Jacob Rees-Mogg made this point. He was saying, look, what about um, the question as to whether this, is, this can be as mild as it is in South Africa? Does the data include that? They hadn't been given enough information to know what these figures referred to. Now, you would not make a plan for a holiday on such dodgy, vague information, let alone plans to lock down a whole nation. Um, and what it reminds me of, I'm old enough to be a veteran of a Tony Blair dodgy dossier for invading Iraq. And what happened there was you got some inputs that were put in by some relatively junior intelligence people that were then ramped up into certainty. So what you lost in the process of a dossier was the element of doubt. You needed to know if something was an outside theory or whether this was a, a confidently held belief. Now, that's what's happening with SAGE. You're getting some of these scenarios, 6,000 6, people dying a day, which is an outside possibility being wrapped up in the form of this document with all the shades of grey erased out. Now, that is not the way to reach sensible decisions in modern government. 
And if this is, go- is going to be a cabinet decision, as it now looks like being a big change for Boris Johnson, from now on it's got to be a cabinet decision, then he needs to persuade not just the members of his government, but also people in the country about the quality of the argument. So it's no longer enough to say that Sage have come down from Mount Sinai and they have decided and it's written on the tablets of stone. People need to know what are the assumptions lying behind Sage. For the first time, they're being subjected to democratic scrutiny. I wish that it happened earlier, but thank God it's happening now. Fraser, uh, I wonder, do you think that applies more broadly to Boris Johnson in terms of the style of government he now is going to need to lead? Because he has had a habit, Downing Street generally, of just pushing things through through brute force, not really winning the argument. If you look at tax rises, yes, a handful of ministers spoke against it, but it was quite clear no one really backed them um, in a significant way. His parliamentary party didn't like it, but they were very much looking at a powerful prime minister and thinking this is his will. Do you think he's going to have a much harder time generally now when it comes to that style of operating? Uh, Yes, I do. And I think this is what everybody's missed from um, this week's meeting. But this was the first taste of a new cabinet. Already, we've got the extraordinary situation where Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has made clear that he personally will not be increasing taxes if there is any more money. He wants to cut taxes. This is his personal pledge. It's not the Prime Minister's pledge. He's drawn a red line to Boris Johnson saying, effectively, I'm going to quit if you make me raise taxes again for more spending. But you've got Sasha Javid, who was very early on, was saying, the health secretary, he was saying that he is not going to go for compulsory vaccination. You can do it if you want, Prime Minister. He was effectively saying, but I will resign. So you've got somebody else drawing a red line around the Prime Minister. He's being boxed in now by what his cabinet will go with. So rather than get them to vote for the exoneration of Owen Patterson or whatever, or tax rises or, or whatever idea he cooks up with, he's now got to win them around. Now, that's a very different process, but it's one which he was quite good at yesterday. I mean, I've spoken to quite a few people who were saying that he was genuinely quite humble, that he was really trying to find a consensus. He wasn't really trying to push them one way or another. So this form of government might work for him. To be frank, this might be the only form of government they will tolerate if he's going to stay as prime minister. Because as you were saying, Katie, when they cancelled the away day, one of the MPs told you that if they went ahead with their away day, they might hang around with each other long enough to find out who's going to succeed Boris Johnson. So his jacket is on a very shaky nail, as we say in Scotland right now. To keep his jacket on the nail of his office door, he has to consult his members of cabinet. And we're seeing not just a new way of deciding lockdown, but a new way of running government. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening.